Well, we're in this series, Back to Basics. I came across this quote actually just this past week, and I thought it really was germane to where we are in this series. It's written by Samuel Johnson, who was an 18th century writer. And listen to what he wrote. He said, people need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. People need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. And of course, what he's talking about is, is that learning new information is helpful. I mean, it keeps us sharp and improves our lives. But if we were to be honest, the amount of information we already have known, we already know that we don't apply or already know that we've forgotten, is so immense that the importance of being reminded is, is out there in front of us. In fact, any teacher will tell you that review is extremely important to constantly come back to the, to the basic facts of, of whatever discipline you're studying. And certainly as Christians then, as we look at the foundations of the gospel, it, it's so important that we continually come back to the basics. And that's what Paul is doing for us through the book of Romans. As we've been studying these first eight chapters of Romans in particular, uh, he's taking us through the foundations the of basic Christianity. Uh, In the first half, he talked about what does it mean to become a believer and what work has Christ done in the life of an individual who accepts him as Savior and Lord. In the second half of the first eight chapters, what does he do? He talks about this word sanctification. What does it mean to become like Jesus, this continual work of, of salvation that is happening in the life of a believer? Now, we're, we're, we're narrowing to the end of the series. Uh, we're we're going to be studying chapter 7 this week, and then the next two weeks, actually, finishing the series by looking at chapter 8. And, and I just want to tell you, as much as I would have been excited every week to, to share with you, this week and the next two weeks are, my, are going to be my favorite. That, that's what I've been looking forward to. They're also the most weighty on my heart because chapter 7 and 8 of of Romans has had a profound impact on my life. The truth of the other chapters have too, don't get me wrong. But when I actually uh, was able to to sit under a mentor, Cliff Bedell, and he shared with me chapter 7 and 8 and it clicked, it it brought freedom to my soul. Like, Like I had already been a believer for many years and so I had this freedom in Christ but there was this struggle, this, this misunderstanding of what it meant to become like Jesus. And it wasn't until he shared it the way he did that, that, that things opened up for me. And so that's been my prayer as we've been heading to these next three messages, especially as we dig into chapter 7 together this morning, uh, that, that there'd be a freedom, that there'd be this aha moment that allows you as a believer to both persevere and you're growing like Jesus, but to do so with freedom and victory. And so what's Paul going to do? Well, there's three sections, if you will, of chapter 7 where we're going to look at, okay? The first, he gives us an overview. He says, this is what the work of sanctification looks like. This is why that work can happen in your life. And then he talks about his, his personal struggle and, and eventual victory. And so he's going to talk about what he was like before he was a believer, the struggle as a believer, and where the victory is found, but first gives us this overview. Now, let me just say for those of you who who sort of get into the background of something, there's been many ways people have looked at chapter 7 of Romans. Some people believe that Paul is talking about others, and yet when you look at the way that it's written, there's a ton of personal pronouns and personal verb endings within the Greek, but let us know really he's talking about himself. It's his journey. That he's sharing with us. I think the reason some people don't want to 
realize that Paul struggled is because some people want Paul to be superhuman. They, they, they want to see him that way. I think there's something quite exciting to think that Paul was just like each and every one of us, but deeply in love with Jesus and willing to share his journey. And, and I believe that's who Paul was, and I believe that's why God inspired him to write these amazing words for us. And so to get us started, we're going to jump into the first section where he gives us this marriage metaphor to describe the believer's relationship with the law and, and with Christ. And if you look up on the screen, we have it read for us, and we'll follow along together. Romans 7, 1 through 6. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. The believers have died to the law and are alive to Christ. That's, that's what Paul's writing about here, that we were we were sinners in Adam, we were, we were slaves to sin, but when we, when we came into relationship with Jesus Christ, that, that our obligations to the law were paid through his death. When we, when we died with Christ, we were freed from the condemnation of God's law, the sin for which we were condemned was forgiven, praise the Lord, and we were free. We've been set free and we've been risen with Christ. And so to, to sort of understand what Paul is, I want to draw a little diagram. Now, before I do that, I'm going to ask you not to laugh too much. Um, my, my, my drawing is worse than my, my uh, penmanship and my spelling, and if that's hard to believe, uh, but, but it is. In fact, one time my mom went to a parent-teacher conference, and I had to take art in high school, and uh, the art teacher was standing there in front of one of my pieces of art, and, and uh, my mom said, is that good? Like she asked him that, is that good? And he said, what do you think? And she said, I don't think it's really all that good. And, and he said, well, it's really not. I mean, this is really happening. By the way, you know, I heard this later. I mean, it, I thought my mom loved me. But, uh, but, 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 he, but, he, but he said that. And then he said, well, can you just ask Craig not to talk in class, please? That was the whole, that was my art teacher. To which when I heard that, I thought, well, if he doesn't like my art, then I guess he's going to have to hear my voice. So that's just sort of the way it went. But, but what Paul does is he basically talks about Mr. Law, right? See, that's amazing. That's Mr. Law if you haven't figured it out. And then he talks about us. Now, guys, you're just going to have to put up with the fact that we're married to Mr. Law, okay? And so this, this is the, the marriage relationship. And so what does Paul say? He says, as long as you're alive, you've made a commitment to each other, right? So you're married. He says, the only way to be separated, if you're over here, I guess you can see on the screen, good. I was just looking, I thought, you can't see a thing. But if you, if you look at this, the only way in order to be free from Mr. Law and that obligation is for what? To die. So he says, you've died with Christ. 
When Jesus died on the cross, think about this. This is a great illustration, really, what Paul gives us. When you, when you die in Christ, what happens? You're freed from the law. You're forgiven. But not just that, you're, you're given a new life. That when you, when you died with Christ, you became alive in him, and the very spirit of God entered us as believers. Remember, first half of, 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 of Romans, Paul writes to those who may be believers, may not be believers. Second part, he uses language. He's saying he's assuming we're believers as we're reading through this. So he's talking to a believer. He says, and what happens when you're alive in Christ is that the very glory of God, this is the glory shining out. I just want to interpret my, my artwork for you. The, the glory of God is in you. And, and so he has to change the metaphor a little bit because any human metaphor isn't perfect, right? So he says, think of it this way. The law has died at least the grip, not, not the intent of the law, not the message of the law, but that which, which kept us in bondage because none of us completely fulfill the law, that we're alive in Christ. And so it's sort of, it's sort of a, a mixed metaphor of sorts, but, but I think Paul gives us, by the inspiration of the Spirit, this powerful picture of what's happened in our lives as believers, that, that we, we've, we've died with Christ, and, and yet we're, we're alive in him, and that's brought us freedom. Before we accepted Christ as our Savior, the law really had a proper hold over us. That's why the scripture tells us the wage of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our, our Lord. And here's something that's so important then. When we think about our relationship with God, we need to think about it through the lens of a living Christ. We're married to a living Christ. You say, Craig, why do you emphasize that? Don't get me wrong. The cross is important, okay? The cross is important. But when we gather for our two real big celebrations as a church in, in the Christian calendar, there, there's three, but there's two big ones. There's, there's the birth of Christ, because if Christ hadn't took upon his divinity humanity and come the way he did, he never could have paid the price he did for us. Christmas is coming, by the way. Can't you tell this morning by the weather? It's right around the corner. Christmas is coming. But, but, so, so that's important. The second one is Easter. You said, well, you skipped over Good Friday. No, 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 you never skip over Good Friday because the death of Christ was essential. But we can't see ourselves as married to Jesus as dead. We have to see ourselves as married to Jesus as alive. And for us guys who might not like this married metaphor so well, we need to see ourselves united with Jesus, who's the living Savior. And, and the reason that's so important, number one, is because it's a living Savior who gives us the power to live in freedom each and every day. It's not just what he did, it's what he's doing. Also, because Paul writes, he says, all this happened in order that we may bear fruit for God. Bear fruit for God. Well, if you're in marriage with a dead person, you can't produce children. Okay, you're with me, okay. I mean, I'm not, really, I'm not trying to, I don't, I don't play a, a biologist on TV, I'm just sort of saying, right? That's, a sort of, that's something that I sort of figure there. And, and so it's because we're united with a living Jesus that we're able to bear fruit, that we're able to, to be a part of seeing his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So here's the question. Is the law then still binding in the believer's life? 
Are Christians called to obey it? I, I love how John Stott, famous commentary and preacher, how he wrote about this. He answers the question brilliantly. He looked at scripture and look how he sums it up. He says, he writes that the answer is yes and no. I love Stott because he does that a lot. <laughs> So it's not a simple yes or no answer. Us in the, in the Western culture, we think everything's a yes or no, don't we? But the reality is in Scripture, a lot of times it's yes and no. He says, so he writes the answer is yes and no. In the sense that Christian freedom is the freedom to serve, not to sin, we, we still, we're still slaves, but we're slaves to God and of righteousness. So in that sense, it's a yes. We, 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 we look at the laws and we say, man, we want to obey them and we want to honor God in them and we want to become more like Jesus. But then he writes, but also no, because the motives and means of our service have completely changed. Let that sort of settle in for a minute. We don't serve Christ because we have to, but because we want to. The scripture teaches us that, that works and obedience save no one, but that the saved desire to do good works and walk in obedience. Or I like how Stott states it again. He says, obedience does not lead to salvation, but salvation leads to obedience. Interesting. How do we serve? We serve in the new way of the Spirit, not the old way of the written law. What, what is Paul writing about there? He's saying the old way of the written law. What was that? It's when we tried to do it on our own. When we just said, I mean, I, I'm just going to work hard at this. I'm going I'm to overcome this, this habit. I'm going to overcome this this hang-up, I'm going to overcome this hurt on my own. I'm strong enough to do it until you realize you weren't. Then the new way is what? Through the Spirit. We admit we're weak. We admit that we need Jesus, not just for salvation, but for every day of our life. And we surrender to him and say, Lord, if there's ever going to be anything good that comes out of this, it's going to be because of you. And so this is the message of chapter 7. But Paul goes, and I don't want it just to become sort of an illustration. He says, let me give you an example. And so he shares from his own life, and he begins by, by discussing sort of his, his battle with sin, but he begins before he was a believer. So look up at the screen. Let's follow along. Romans 7, 7 through 13. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. Did that which is good, then, bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might be sinful beyond measure. describing himself before he's a believer here. He's not a believer yet. It's, it's his journey up till he, he's a believer, and he's, he's sharing really in part his journey as a Jewish boy 
Uh, we understand that a Jewish boy came to age around 13. And in the culture and understanding of, of sort of where they lived, that a, a child before they were 13 wasn't in a, weren't accountable for many of their actions. In fact, when we looked at the Old Testament, uh, they weren't accountable for a lot of things until, until they hit what was adulthood. But the, back then, by the way, in, in the Jewish culture, was 13 years old. Uh, so, so there's this, this writing that Paul says that he once was apart from the law. It doesn't mean that he wasn't to keep the law. It just meant that he was so young he didn't really understand the law. And for all of us, that's probably really a different age when, when some things start to click. I mean, I, I, I think we, we, we know sooner than later what yes and no means. I, I think that's uh, things that we sort of understand even before we're two. But, but he's just talking about culturally speaking, this understanding of being once apart from the law because he was innocent. And then Paul declares, I was dead before, but I did not know. In other words, he was still dead in his sins. He just didn't understand those things. He says, now I found out that I was, was spiritually dead. And then Paul writes about his bar mitzvah, I believe. But a bar mitzvah it, it was, is a gateway to being qualified to participate in public wor- worship still today in the Jewish community. It, it typically occurs after the first Sunday after your, after your 13th birthday. It's, it's a great social and, and and really religious event in the life of a young man. What's especially noteworthy is that a Jewish boy who becomes 13 is then looked upon as being morally responsible for his actions. In fact, the word bar mitzvah, this phrase bar mitzvah, means son of the law. That's what it means. So he's become a son of the law. He's now responsible for the law. And so Paul writes, I once lived apart from the law, but when the commandments came, Right? What happened? Sin came, and, and I it, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death. Now, by the way, he starts out the whole section by wanting to clarify, but the law is not bad. Like he's not blaming the law; he's just saying the law did its job. And what's the job of the law? It's to show that we need a savior. That if if the, if, if the way to salvation was to keep the law perfectly that all, none of, not a person in the world who's ever existed would be able to do that. Only Jesus, the God-man, was able to keep the law perfectly, and that's why he was the only one able to die in our stead on the cross. So he says, sin came alive in him. What did Paul become aware of as bar mitzvah? Well, he takes an example. He says, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. And which commandment does he choose to pick? He could have chose any of them as an example. He chooses coveting. He says, all of a sudden, I understand coveting. And he goes, not only does he understand it, he begins to covet like crazy. Now, I don't know if that meant because he understood it, he did it more. I think some of us have that obstinate streak in us, and maybe that was sort of, maybe some of what might have been happening. But I think more than anything, I think when he understood it, he realized how much he was doing it. He he was not only aware of what it meant to covet, but he became acquainted with coveting. In other words, sin took advantage of his clear knowledge to stir him to rebel, leading to more and more and more sin. And notice in this section that we don't hear about God, really. We don't don't hear about the power of the Spirit. He's writing before he's a believer. What we hear is is God's law is a system that dominates the entire section. And that's where we all were before we came to Jesus. It's where some of you may be even this morning, as you're sort of checking out the things of Christ. It's a system of law. If I just work hard enough, in fact, you'll notice that he talks about this idea of compliance. He says, am I, notice the I, in compliance. That's what he's writing about here, and he's realizing he's not. Again, Paul doesn't blame the law for his predicament. In fact, the law is good because it shows how 
how far short of perfection and goodness we all fall, but Paul's giving his example. But he says this is, it's the law that, that eventually kills. It's the standard of the law that I can't meet. But he says, but the law is holy, righteous, and good. He understands that the law is good, that if we could live according to the law, our world would be a perfect place, except for all the weather and stuff. It's good. But you, but you follow what I'm saying? People would treat each other differently. But apart from Christ, we can't. And even with Christ, it's a journey. Have you discovered that? It's a journey. Stott says it this way. He says, the extreme sinfulness of sin. Think about that for a minute. The extreme sinfulness of sin is seen precisely in the way it, it exploits a good thing, the law, for an evil purpose, death. Sin sinfulness. It seems that it takes this very good thing, law, and exploits it. This very bad thing, death. And, and Paul, before he became a believer, he understood this. He came to grips with it. When we find Paul in the book of Acts, what is he doing? Do you remember? He's persecuting the church. Like he thinks he's doing the good thing. And when you look at it, Paul was fully committed to what he thought was good until he's confronted with Christ and realizes how totally wrong he was. And there's this aha moment in Paul's life. And he comes to Christ. But even when he comes to Christ, there's a struggle that he experiences. And I love how open he is about this struggle. Look with me at Romans 7, 14 through 24. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is not, no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So Paul is writing now, in the previous section, so he gives us this illustration, this marriage metaphor, then he writes about sort of this becoming a son of the law. By the way, that whole section is written in past tense uh, verbiage. And then this section is written in the present tense verbiage, and that's sort of why I say I think it's Paul's sort of journey now in a way. He still has times where he struggles with temptation and sin. Now, Paul describes himself as a law-focused or a self-focused. Both can be interchangeable. We'll say self-focused uh, believer. Uh, and it's interesting, something very important to note in this section is that the, the spirit isn't mentioned, that, that it's really a, about, about a struggle that he is having, this personified struggle, and, and he writes it that way. And he says what? He says, I, I constantly tend to do the things I don't want to do, and I don't, I'm not able to do the things I want to do. 
Now, now we're in a room here of a lot of people, so you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you guys can relate to that? You know, you come to Christ, you look at Scripture, and you, you especially reading through the Gospels, and you're like, man, I thought I was just going to become, like, perfect overnight. Like I said, yes to Jesus, you know? And, and then, you, you know, you had a conversation. Maybe it was the day after you got saved. Maybe it was that afternoon. You're like, man, I, I handled that thing poorly, just like I did before I said yes to Jesus. Now raise your hand. I've been there. And then you know if you walk with him, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, and, and the Spirit works in you, there's change that does happen. But Paul's so discouraged. You can just hear it in his voice. And, and what he's describing here, I believe, is, is what we can call average Christianity. I think what he's describing is average Christianity. What do I mean by average? I mean, I think that all of us can relate to it. I, I think it's what we see more often than not. But it's not normal Christianity. In fact, it's, it's abnormal Christianity. You say, Craig, what are you talking about? If we were to go down the street here and visit the hospital, uh, you may walk on at one of the, one of the wards there, and, and the average temperature, the average temperature may be 103 degrees. How many of you would say that's normal? That's why they're there, right? Normal temp is what? More like 98, somewhere in that vicinity. That's a normal temperature. And so what Paul's describing may be an average experience for the believer. It's not the normal experience. It's not what God has for us. He has something more for us that we'll look at in chapter 8 starting next week. But for now, Paul's just letting us in on this, on this struggle he has. God has a better way, which is this normal Christian life. But Paul's experience is this, this what we all wrestle with, this average experience. But God has more. He says, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. So we know he's a believer because only a believer would write that. But, but he's perplexed. He says, I don't understand my actions, or I don't do the things I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, again, Paul doesn't mention the Spirit of God anywhere in this section. You say, Craig, why do you keep emphasizing that? Because if, if you're not focused on the Spirit, if you're not focused on Christ, you're quenching the Spirit. Like, if you're, you're, you're quenching the Spirit. You're, you're not motivated by the Spirit. You're not allowing the Spirit to direct your life. The Holy Spirit is either grieved or quenched. And we're warned, for instance, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Where's Paul seeking for the solution in this section? In himself. The Spirit's not mentioned at all. It's mentioned, the Spirit, he is mentioned all over in chapter 8. So you got to tie the two together. Remember, when the scripture was written, when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't write it in chapters and verses. One complete letter. So seven and eight have to be looked at together, and that's why we're going to spend three weeks doing this, because it's life-giving to the believer. But Paul's, he's not presenting a light picture of sin. He says, now I don't want to, now I do what I do not want. I agree with the law that, it, that it's good. The law is good, but but it's no longer I who am, who's doing these things. And, and you wonder, is Paul passing off the blame? He's not, by the way. See, since he's focused on himself, not on Christ, he, he's, he's, he's really focused on, 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 on himself. Even though he's in Christ, he's changed. The Spirit of God lives within him. He, he's really looking at himself as he was still married to the law. And what he's saying is it's not me doing this because who he is in Jesus is different than the way he's living. See, when we come to Christ, the righteousness of Jesus covers us. 
Positionally, we're 100% righteous in the eyes of God. Is that, is that not something to celebrate? I mean, we are. Like, he sees us through Jesus. And by the way, that's how I want to be seen. That's why, by the way, we should give grace to one another. Because if God can see us that way, we should see each other that way, brothers and sisters in Christ. But listen, even though we understand where we are positionally, practically speaking, Paul's realizing, we understand it. We don't live like that all the time. And so Paul's struggling. He's like, I, I just, I, I don't know what to do with this. And, and, and he's, he's wrestling with it. And here's the point. The person trying to do God's will in his own strength inevitably ends up falling. Isn't that the truth? He's declaring that ever since Adam committed the first sin, this is where we humans have been. Do it on your own strength. Do it on your own focus. And watch yourself fall and fall and fall. I mean, he even cries out, what wretched man that I am. I'm like, that word wretched, he's saying, I'm struggling. My, my mind is overwhelmed with all of this. And here's the point. When we come to Christ, we're justified. We've been talking about this, right? That's me, by the way. And, and, and that's, that, we're justified. What's that mean? We're made right with God. That's already, if you're a believer this morning, that has already happened. Don't fall into the trap of thinking you need to do that again. Don't come to God and say, hey, can you re-justify me? Come on now, church. If you're in Christ, you've been justified. It's done. It's a past event we celebrate every single week as we gather together as a church family. When we see Christ face to face, we're going to be glorified. What's that mean? It means the work is finished. We'll be complete. Isn't that good news? Like, I'm a driven person. I'm a task person. I love checking things off the list. I love knowing this will be checked off someday. What's happening today in our life as believers? We're being sanctified. What's that mean? Set apart for God, being made in the image of Christ. But that's the work that continues to happen until Jesus returns. And so I don't say this to say it's a freedom to sin. I'm not saying this to say there's no victory for sin, because there is. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized us but what is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear, but when we are tempted, provides a way to stand up under it. There is victory. We don't have to fall into the traps of temptation. But we do. And when we do, we don't come back and say, re-justify me, God. Re-justify me. No, he goes, I already did that. What you need to ask is, continue to sanctify me. Continue to make me like Jesus. And, and so Paul writes for us. He's, he's writing about this, this power of sin that's, that's still in our life. It's still, it's still there. And, and, and he's yet writing about just this struggle. And, and can you hear in his word, wretched man that I am? He's not putting himself down. He's saying, I'm deeply affected. I'm, 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 I'm deeply troubled. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Have you ever felt like that in your spiritual life? Come on, church. I don't know how you can love Jesus and, not feel like that from time to time when you realize, man, I thought I was further than I am. Right? Listen to what he writes. Verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. What is he saying? He's saying Paul describes that a believer's deliverer is and always has been Jesus Christ. But in the midst of all of life, Jesus is still at work. His work still plays a role in us becoming. He, he talks about this, this, this reality in our life. See, people will ask, what about that old part of me? We call it in Scripture the old nature or flesh. What about that old part of me, that part that, that died with Jesus? Isn't it dead? Let me steal from Stott. Yes and no. It is dead. The, 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 we're no longer responsible. In other words, Jesus paid the price. We're justified. We're, we're no longer have to live in the fear of condemnation. In fact, Romans 8, 8 starts like that. It's so great. Can't wait to get there. But, but we don't need to live in condemnation because Jesus paid the price. The old self is dead. However, it's still there. It won't be here. It still is here. You say, Craig, how do you know? Well, the scripture teaches it, and because Paul's experience and mine mirror each other. You know, there are times where, where I've gotten better. What do I mean by better? Where I have a smile on my face, but my thoughts would, would get me in trouble. Ever been there? Like you've cleaned up your responses, but not your thoughts? Like, oh, that's okay. I wish I could hit you. Right? Come on now. I know none of you think like that. I know none of you do. You know, someone cuts you off and you go, God bless them. Oh. Right? I mean, there's still parts where God's working on me. You know, he's still working on me. I, I told you I don't have a little fish on the back of my truck because I don't drive like a believer. And so, you know, when I do, I'll put it on there and I'll say my truck is sanctified now. But my truck and I still struggle when we're driving sometimes. But, but it's still in play. But I don't want to say that lightly because here's the reality. Because of Jesus, I can have victory. Because of Jesus, I'm growing. Because of Jesus, I, I, not because I, ha I want to. In Christ, we're just 100% righteous. He's making us as we're sanctified more and more like him. When he comes back, to, the job will be complete. But, but, but what Paul experienced here, I hope you get this this morning, especially as we go into chapter 8. What Paul experiences is this wretched man that I am. That's like one sentence. In the very next sentence, what does he say? Praise Jesus. Not because I'm wretched, but because Jesus is the answer of getting out of his distressed place. Jesus is the one who brings peace to a wounded spirit. Jesus is the one who... who when we align ourselves with him and focus on him, he's the one that directs us in the path that we're supposed to go. See, when we're focused on Christ, that's normal Christianity. When we're not focused on him, that's abnormal Christianity. So what do we do, Paul says? What do you do when you're not focused on Jesus and you're experiencing abnormal Christian life and you feel wretched? One thing, Lord, help me focus on you. We don't say, Lord, justify me again. We say, Lord, help me focus on you again. Help me get your perspective again. Not just your perspective of life, not just your perspective on this situation, but catch this, your perspective on me. Because I may feel wretched, but Lord, you love me. Jesus died for me. I'm made right in him. I'm not doing the Christian life because I have to. It's because I want to. And that changes everything. 
two verses to keep in mind as we head into next week. Romans 1.17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Our walk with Jesus begins with faith and continues with faith. So even this morning, if you find yourself in Paul, you, faith, faith, Lord, I trust you. You've said this, I believe you. The other verse is 2 Corinthians 3.18. And this is what Romans is all about. Romans 8 is all about. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You might have thought that when you came to Jesus that your actions were going to be perfect. You were made perfect positionally, but you might have thought your actions were going to be perfect. But let me tell you, they will one day. But Paul says this is how it happens from one degree to another. And let me let you know a little secret. We were many degrees away from that. It's not the speed of our journey that matters. It's our commitment to Christ in the journey that matters. That's what brings us peace and power. That's what brings us peace and power. And so I want to encourage you this morning that if you're not in Christ, that justification be made right with God is awaiting you with simply saying, Lord, come into my life as Lord and Savior. Not saying it, believing it, wanting it. But, oh, believer, maybe you're experiencing that wretched man that I am moment. Oh, praise the Lord Jesus. All you need to do is focus on him again. Look at what he says about you. Be reminded that you're a child of God and the work that he's doing. And let me tell you, the freedom, the power, oh my goodness, the relief. In the midst of all the craziness that is 2020, and my goodness, just when you think it's crazy enough. By the way, I am talking about the passing of Sean Connery. My goodness. Enough is enough, Lord. Please help us. Just when you think, the, you know what? God is in control. I'm his. I'll do what I can do, lay it at his feet, trust in him. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your profound love. Thank you for this amazing chapter you placed in scripture. Lord, thank you that we have died with Christ, but we don't remain dead. We're, we're alive in him, that we are united with you, with a risen Savior with all the power in the world to sanctify us, to, through the power of His Spirit to make us more and more like Him, to walk in freedom. Lord, there's still a struggle this side of paradise, and we all experience it, we all know it. May we not feel alone in it. May we encourage and care for each other in the midst of, of the struggle. But Lord God, more important than anything else, may we focus on You. When we find that our, that our gaze has strayed from You, we don't need to come back to you and ask to be re-justified. That, that work's already been done. We come back to you and say, Lord, help us stay focused on you. Help us, help us become more and more like Jesus by your power. Help us, Lord God, bear the fruit that you can bear through us by your power. And Lord, we, we come to you not because we fear punishment. We come to you not because we have to, but because we get to. Because of your love for us and the love you've given us for others. Lord, thank you for this journey that you've brought us on. I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified, that, yeah, we'd be blessed, but others would benefit. Continue to remind us to live from faith to faith, faith every day, Lord God, and, and to trust 
that you're making us in the image of Christ from glory to glory, one degree at a time. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.